Well, it's great to have you here. Welcome to Heritage. Can you feel the snow in the air? It's coming tonight, or tomorrow, tomorrow night, they say. But it's uh, good, to, good to have you here today, and uh, we're looking forward to a great day together. Our uh, family gathering to follow, excited about that, and uh, good day to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we talked last week about uh, the revivals that are happening around our country and college campuses or the awakenings or reawakenings or renewals or maybe just amazing days or a couple of weeks of worship together for numerous students and believers around our country. It may be too soon to know exactly what is happening, was happening on, on those campuses and other places, but students on colleges and universities across our country are seeing a very special, have been seeing a very special outpouring of the presence of God and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. There's no question that that has been going on. I was given a copy of a, a letter by Dr. Thomas White, who's the president of Cedarville University, to explain a little bit about what happened there. Um, and that began on uh, a, uh, the Monday, like about five or six days after things started down at Asbury University. And he said this, we're so thankful for God, for how God is working on our campus in recent days. I want to share a brief summary for those who may not be aware. Speaking on Psalm 86 on Monday, I planned for us to pray as an application of David crying out to God and then sing a song before continuing with the sermon. During that song, the first person to come to the altar to pray was a faculty member. He was followed by students, one after another. As I walked back up to the stage, I knew the sermon was over. That's a hard thing for a preacher to say. I knew the sermon was over and God was moving. It's not hard when you know God's moving. Amen. Before long, the altar was packed. With students down some of the aisles, we stayed even after the time for chapel had ended. Now, we don't do this very often because we value the important work that takes place in classrooms across campus at 11 a.m. But as I looked down at students with tears of repentance dripping from their cheeks while other students put arms around them to pray, I knew we needed to stay. God was doing something special. Monday evening, 8 p.m., we began a time of prayer and praise, and of course we read scripture. Uh, I expected to see a hundred or so students for the service to last an hour. God convicted me of my little faith when I walked in to see a thousand, maybe more students 9 p.m. came and went. We approached 10 p.m. and the numbers were not decreasing. We prayed, we sang, we cried, we read scripture, we had brief exhortations, we rejoiced, and we exalted King Jesus. I called for salvations. Tuesday evening, I called for salvations. No one came. We sang again. I watched another young lady walk toward the altar with tears streaming. Friends joined her, putting their arms around each other. After the song... I felt the Lord leading me to ask if anyone was saved tonight, and the young lady with tears raised her hands. We all rejoiced together. 
we challenged the students to take what God was doing in their lives and to go share it with others. I could go on, but you get the gist of what was happening. And what, you want, and what I want you to notice, and if you've done any looking at various places across the campus or across our country on campuses and reading uh, any of the accounts of them, uh, they all talked about um, how that the students and faculty and staff of these colleges and universities were ministering to one another. They were praying for one another. They were crying with one another. They were hugging one another on their knees together with arms around each other. They, they were actively involved in loving one another and showing compassion, support, tears, prayers for each other as members of the body and then also welcoming new members, new believers into the body of Christ. That's what was going on in Acts chapter 4, the account that we worked through last Sunday. Acts chapter 4, after Peter and John were arrested, and then they were challenged not to teach or preach anymore in the name of Jesus Christ, and they said, sorry, we can't help but tell what we've seen and heard. And, and, and God has burdened our hearts to do that. They were told by the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, let go and told not to teach or speak anymore, but they, they did, went back to God's people who were gathered together praying and prayed together and rejoiced and praised God and lifted their voices. And, and there they were, an outpouring of God's presence in their midst, the ministry of the Spirit amongst them. It was an amazing time there. And as you think about that, I want you to grab hold of this. When the Holy Spirit of God is at work, God's people can't get enough of each other. There are times when we can get enough of each other. When maybe we say, I don't want to have any more of any other, right? And yet, when God's presence and the ministry of the Spirit is involved and working and active in the lives of God's people we recognize not only that we can't get enough of each other, but we desperately need one another. Folks, we as members of the body of Christ, the church, those who know Jesus Christ desperately, hear me, desperately need one another. The problem is we many times don't feel that. We might give verbal assent to that, lip service, but we really think, yes, we need each other, but we really think we can get by without one another. And can I say to you, God's word is very clear. When you read through into the New Testament and, and the church and the, 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 the beginning of the church and, and how the church is to function and, and all of the one another's, I, I want to say to you, you cannot grow spiritually you cannot become a mature follower of Jesus without one another can't happen because that's how God designed it and we often think I'm, I'm good I'm, I'm I know what I'm doing I'm I can do my own thing and I can grow and I can read the word and I can pray and 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 I'll put in an appearance once in a while but I'm good no we're not we need one another. Amen. 
And uh, we talked last Sunday, I, I used this quote, and, and, and I think it bears repeating. It may be that what we classify as revival, what we classify as revival, what we've been talking about, what you may have been reading about, the apostles understood as the church's expected posture toward God, toward one another, and to the world around them. What we classify as revival may be just the norm, the expected posture or behavior towards God, towards the church, towards one another. If so, so, then, we might understand revivals as times when Christians remember and embrace their calling by God's grace and the power of the Spirit. And revival may be just that. David uses the word restore. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, he says. When we deal with sin in our lives, restore to me a right walk with God. And it may be that we get back to where we need to be, back to where we were walking with God. Revival is just the expected norm, not something special, although we need it. But we ought to be looking at that normal expectation as we study Scripture together. So if the outpouring of God's presence, as we've called it revival or renewal or awakening or reawakening, results in God's people, if that results in God's people growing deeper in their relationships with one another, and it has in these places, shouldn't it be happening all the time because it is the expected behavior of God's people? You and I must develop significant relationships, deep relationships within the community of the body of Christ, within the community of Christ followers that we call the church, and more specifically, the local church. We need to work at that. We desperately need one another, and we must grow deep in our relationship with one another. There it is, folks. We must grow deep in our relationships with one another. You've heard the phrase an inch deep and a mile wide. That's not what we need. We need a mile deep or more in our relationships with one another. A quick review. Remember our strategy. Remember the game plan for our mission. Our mission says in order to make more people more like Jesus, we will help each other. Number one, we talked about last week to grow up. To grow up in our relationship with God. We talked about that as worship to grow deep in our relationship with one another, that's community, and to grow out in our relationship with the world, with people who don't know Jesus Christ, that's outreach. We need this strategy to become more like Jesus. That's the goal. So what is community? As we talk today about community, growing deep in our relationship with one another, That's members of the body of Christ, the church. What is community? What is this thing that we call community? Well, it is the church being what God designed the church to be. The church being the church, if you will. You may have heard that phrase at times. We need to be the church. Because sometimes we just look at it, and as often as we say the church isn't this building, the church isn't the bricks and mortar and the shingles and the wood and all the stuff 
the parking lot. That's just the building. This is just the auditorium. And for those of you that were here back in 2012 when we made the remodel of this auditorium, where the platform used to be right up front where the baptistry is, and it went this way. And then we turned it the way it is now. And, and the first message, if you were here, you might remember, I preached the message and said, it's just an auditorium. This is not the church. We are. Amen. Right? And we hear that and we say that. But folks, we don't often let it sink down deep into our body and our soul and our spirit. And we must because that's community. It's the fellowship, the close-knit communion that the church experiences and shares together because of our common faith in Jesus Christ. It's growing deep in your relationships with other Followers of Jesus in your local church. It's developing deeper relationships, not just more relationships. Don't want to say that we don't want to know more people, but we need to go deeper with those that we know. So if you'll open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look quickly at verses 41 to 47, page 759, and if you don't have a copy of the Bible and you want to hold that in your hands and don't have it on your phone or tablet, underneath the chair in front of you there should be a Bible and in that Bible, page 759, Acts chapter 2 starting at verse 41 and we read, those who accepted his message were baptized. Peter preached. It's the day of Pentecost, the day the church began. And there it is, they who accepted. Peter preached, and we're told that they who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. 3,000 people responded to Peter's message and trusted Christ. They devoted, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. That, that's a significant, that's a strong word. It means to continue to do something with intense effort, devotion. We many times call our time alone with God each day when we're encouraging you, when you've been encouraged, I'm sure, for years to read the Bible and spend time praying and worshiping and talking with God by yourself. We many times call that time, whether it's in the morning or at night or whenever you do, we call them devotions. Because it is an intent, it should be an intense effort on our part to be committed to our time with the Lord and His Word. And sometimes, despite difficulty, we continue to be devoted. For those of you that are, are married, that have husbands and wives, you know that that takes devotion. It takes intense effort at times. And that's what we're talking about. To keep on, to persist in that. Devoting themselves, what? To fellowship. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To have something in common. To fellowship. That's what we're talking about. Community. It's the church. We devote ourselves to that. To have something. Fellowship means to have something in common. To share. Because you have something in common. It's a partnership. 
It's a participation together in that same thing. It's a close association. It's a communion with one another. That's community. But this sharing, this kind of fellowship was distinctive. You see, we often use fellowship for say, hey, come join us uh, after the service down in the fellowship hall where we're going to fellowship around coffee and donuts. No, we're not. So don't be running down there for donuts, all right? <laughs> we are having lunch together at a gathering. You, you, you'll hear more about that. You already have. But, but there it is. We sometimes minimize that word fellowship, and it's like cookies and punch after church. No. Fellowship is sharing. It's distinctive. It's above and beyond just a friendship, just a relationship that people have hanging out together, watching the Super Bowl or watching whatever or, or just having dinner together. And, 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 and as we talk, it's far more than that. They shared their possessions, yes, but for the church, the primary meaning was the sharing of ideas, the sharing of a common purpose, the sharing of a mission to make disciples of all nations, the sharing of their faith with each other, to talk about what God was doing in amazing ways in their lives. That's worship, to share in worship together. That's why we gather together in this auditorium on Sunday mornings, to share with one another as the church. We share the same values, the values that are taught to us in God's word, the Bible. And that led, all of that sharing in common, Jesus Christ, that led to sharing their resources. That led to sharing with those who had need. Sharing anything that reflected their new relationship together because of their common faith in Jesus Christ. You see, this church was a very close-knit community built on Jesus Christ. That's what Peter just preached. The church is necessary in our lives. We're talking continual, unwavering, intense commitment to one another. Not just to being here at 9.30 on Sunday morning so you can check the box and go home. Sometimes that's all church is. But it's an intense commitment to one another to his church. Verse 43, as you continue on in Acts chapter 2, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Notice, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Same purpose, same mission, same faith, same values, same Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Why would they do that? Because they shared in common their lives together in the person of Jesus Christ. We're told every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is community. It was different than anything they had ever known before because Jesus was at the very heart of it. He was the foundation. It was not just a friends, group of friends getting together to enjoy one another and 
meals or games or music or whatever. It was God's people sharing in the things of Jesus Christ. That's community, and that's what we need. So how do we, the church, how do we grow deep in our relationship with each other? How do we do that? Well, we make a commitment to three things. You saw it on the screen before, and we're going to go through each one of those. Number one, we make a commitment, a commitment to connect with one another, to connect with one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. This is what, you know, the writer of the book of Hebrews, if, if you just start looking at verse 25 and go on through, oh, verses 26 and so, but, but right in there, there's like three statements uh, that were told. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Verse 23, let us hold unswerving to the hope we profess. And then we get to verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Listen, this verse is often used to encourage God's people to be in this building on Sunday morning. Not only that, but typically that's the main meaning of it and that's the use. And, and it's like, if you're not faithful, you need to be faithful. You need to be committed to this hour in this building. It's much, much, much more than that because we're talking about God's people meeting together, gathering together. Let us consider, pay attention to, that's what he's saying, to look closely at, to give careful thought to the constant need for encouragement. Let us consider, give serious thought to. Don't just, uh, yeah, I know I need to, but let it in one ear and out the other. But he says, let us consider, let us give serious thought to how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How we may stir up each other to be together. How we may provoke. Now that sounds like usually used in a negative way, right? Glenn, stop provoking your sister. I used to hear that because I provoked all three of them. Because I was older than all three of them, right? But that's how we use it. You know, don't provoke them. You know, it's like, stay away, don't provoke. Well, what we're supposed to do here is the writer of the book of Hebrews says, we are to provoke one another on toward love and good deeds. That idea, the word there, it's the sharpening of the feeling. That's what's involved, provoking. It's like kind of that sharp point and you're sticking it, you know. Don't provoke. Well, that's what it means. And, and, and the effect of irritation, have you ever been moved by irritation? You're finally like, okay, I've had enough, I'm going to, and you react. Well, we are to provoke one another to love that is expressed in good works. That's serving. That's the church. It's not just being here at 9.30 on Sunday morning. It's stirring up, it's motivating, it's provoking it's jabbing each other to say in a godly, loving way, listen, you need to be about loving each other and you need to express that love for one another in good works. 
And then he goes on and he said, and, and not giving up meeting together. Yes, meeting together is critical, but not just on Sunday morning at 930. We need to recognize encouraging one another. That word encourage, you, we, we know how to encourage people. We do it. But we urge. We exhort. We do more than ask. We, we really put energy into it. Evidencing a desire to see something happen. Evidencing a desire that produces an effect in the individual that we're trying to encourage. It may be that we want them to feel better about themselves or about a relationship or about their walk with God or about a situation at work or about a relationship in school with a teacher or, or somebody who's given you a hard time. But it can't happen. Encouragement cannot happen in isolation. We need to be meeting together. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews is talking about. And he's saying, don't abandon meeting together. Don't give up on it. Do it more so. As we know, the return of Jesus Christ is getting closer. It's that important. So what does that look like? Well, when we share together in the Lord's Supper, communion... We are sharing in common what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, how that he died for us, for our sin. He died in our place to forgive our sins so that we could be saved. We share, we remember that, and we're doing that Sunday, March 12th. Two weeks from today, we'll be sharing together in the Lord's Supper right here in this auditorium. Our family gatherings, we have one of those afterwards. Getting together with God's people to talk about the ministry of, of God's people together that we call the church. We're talking about on Easter Sunday, Sunday, April 9th, we're talking about having a dinner together after the morning service. And, and some might say, well, oh, we have plans. That's great. Enjoy your family and do what you do. But there are people who don't who have nothing to do. And we're going to say, join us. We're going to get together. And, and we'll be talking more about that. But gathering together and sharing in common. How about our seniors' prayer meetings on the first two Thursday mornings at 10 o'clock in room 111? They gather together to share in common their requests and their needs and to pray for the ministry of this church and to pray for one another and to pray for you, our seniors gather on Thursdays. How about Sunday mornings when we're gathered together here? Yes. How about our community groups that meet throughout the week? How about our discipleship groups, D-groups as we call them? A little bit smaller, there's an opportunity. How about our ministries, our Awana ministry, our student ministries, HSM as we call it, Heritage Student Ministry. How about our Crossroads ministry, our ministry to college students? How about our men's prayer breakfast, which we just happen to be having one this coming Saturday? How about our Moms Alive? And on and on and on we could go. And I'm not talking about just what you learn by being there. I'm talking about being together in those opportunities. Sharing in common together the things of God around whatever the issue may be at that point. That's of unbelievable value to you and I. That's why Jesus talks about it in the Word. It's priceless. Right? For everything else, there's MasterCard. But that time together that we have described for us in Scripture as community, as the church, is invaluable to your spiritual growth and health.
Secondly, we make a commitment to serve one another. Now, each of these will not be as long as that, but it is critical that we're committed to connecting with one another. Secondly, we make a commitment to serve one another. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verses 4 through 8. I'm just going to read this for you. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Romans 12, wow, what a great chapter, but just zero in verse 4. Paul's talking about giftedness for God's people who have been given abilities to use to serve one another. He says, verse 4, Romans 12, for just as each of us has one body with many members, right? One body with many members. That's, he's talking about your body. One body, many members. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right? I could take my shoes off and count my toes. You don't want me to do that, but, right? Many members, two arms, elbows, shoulders, all the parts inside that we don't see. One body, many members. He goes on and he says, and these members do not have all the same function. We know that, right? Your toe has a different purpose than your finger. Your eye has a different purpose than your ear. All that's what he goes. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body. We, as the many members, form one body, the church, as he says. And each member belongs to all the others. Hallelujah, man. You see why we need each other? God's word says we belong to each other as members of the body. Then he goes on, verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We don't all have the same ability to be used in serving each other. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's so to show mercy, do it cheerfully. We serve one another with the abilities that God gives us to use to help one another. You and I couldn't have designed it any better. That's how God works because do you realize when we do that, you say, well, what about me? Who's going to take care of me if I'm doing all the serving? Somebody's going to be serving you. The way it works is when we do for others, somebody's doing for us. I love that. Serving one another. And it's critical that we get that. And many times we think of the, we have a group of people who each week clean this building. We call it the facilities team. They help Pete. Pete manages that, keeps it going. They wash windows and clean bathrooms and toilets and sinks. And they vacuum and they empty trash and on and on and on. They dust. Every week my office gets dusted. I probably wouldn't know if it didn't, and that's no offense, I know who does it, you do a great job, but if it didn't happen, I wouldn't be complaining, but it's like, wow, all of this stuff, but sometimes we get wrapped up in the activities themselves, and to say, no, 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 this is for one another, somebody's doing that for me, in the nursery, we have nursery workers, they're doing that to take care of those of you that have babies, so you can sit here and listen and sing and enjoy and not have to to, to do what you do when you have a baby in your arms. Amen. We have people that do that for our heritage kids. Same thing. And they're not just doing that. They're teaching them the word of God. 
We have the, we, it happens in Awana. It happens in our student ministries. You helped us with Fan Zone. You brought all kinds of soda and cookies and, and all kinds of food and gave money so that our students could do some outreach together. But it wasn't just because it was something that needed to be. It's serving one another. We bring meals to people and when they've been in the hospital or if they've been in illness. When they have a new baby, we take meals. We do around-the-home projects for people, for older folks, for widows, snow removal, rake, cutting the grass, raking leaves, all those things. But we do that for others. That's what serving is. It's not just to say, well, we got needs here, folks. We got empty. We, we need somebody to do this, and nobody's doing it. And we got... so, no, no, no. It, it's taking care of one another, serving. And then thirdly, we make a commitment to care for one another. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. We care for one another, and I'm going to zero in. We just kind of talked serving one another is certainly caring for one another. But I want to say to you this morning, that I'm talking about the spiritual care and commitment to each other. Look at, look at the writer of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters. He's talking to believers, right? Brothers and sisters. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Remember, he's talking to people who know Jesus. And he says, see to it. That none of you, none of you, none of the church, none of the body, none of your community has an unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily. About what? About their heart that is turning towards a, a believing, a believing heart. Encourage one another as long as it is called today. Why? So that none of you be, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you know a person who know, who's knows Jesus Christ, who you've known for years, who has served and been here and connected, but has turned away and has a hard heart. They've been deceived into thinking what their salvation means. Have you ever helped somebody like that? Have you ever been burdened about, well, I, you know, it's really none of my business. I mean, it's kind of like, well, hey, they're on there. I'll pray for them, certainly. Is that what this says? We encourage one another so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Do you know anybody who's struggling with sin? Who's discouraged rather than being encouraged? Who is not where they used to be spiritually? Who is not where they should be spiritually? Who's been overtaken by sin? Do you know anybody like that? It is all of our responsibility. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Let me read this for you. I believe we have it on the screen, but my brothers and sisters, again, he's talking to believers. If one of you, if one of who? You, brothers and sisters, you, the church, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone, one of us should bring back that per or should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner, one of us from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. I preached on that verse. Save them from death. You know what? There is a sin unto death. And sometimes when God's people walk far enough away from God and God says, all right, you know what? 
I'm not going to let you stay on earth anymore and continue to hurt the testimony of the cause of Jesus Christ. It takes him home. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way, that's one of those things that we struggle with because it's not fun, it's hard. We're afraid they're going to say, well, who do you think you are? You're not perfect. I heard you say, I watched you do. That doesn't negate our responsibility. You could check out Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. You could look at John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Write them down and check them out on your own. This is how people will know that we are followers of Jesus when we love one another. Not just the physical caring, but I'm talking about the spiritual concern. So what do we do now? Well, Paul David Tripp, many of you have used New Morning Mercies a number of years ago. We made that available to you. And if you'll check out July 12th, that's what's cool about that book. It's the same every year, right? 365 days a year. July 12th is always July 12th. It's right there. This is what he says. One of the themes that courses through the New Testament is that your walk with God, listen, your walk with God is designed by God to be a community project. Did you get that? You've heard this phrase, it takes a village. It takes a church. It takes a church. That's what God says. And he, right here, so, so Paul David Tripp says, your walk with God is designed by God to be a community project. This community is meant to enlighten and protect to motivate and encourage, to rescue and restore, to instill hope and courage, to confront and rebuke, to guide and protect, to give vision and sound warning, to incarnate the love and grace of Jesus. You know what that means? To put those things into flesh, right? Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, the flesh the, man, the God in flesh, man, God become man. That's the incarnation. To incarnate something is to put it in the flesh. In other words, not just words that we say, but actions that we do. Incarnate the love of grace, the love and grace of Jesus. People need to see that in us. This flesh and blood demonstrates that. We each need to live in intentionally intrusive. We don't like that word. But that's what it says, intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. It is not a luxury. It is a spiritual necessity. Amen. So how are you growing? How are you growing deep in your relationships with one another? Three questions. How are you taking advantage of opportunities to connect? We've talked about it. How are you using your God-given gifts to serve? We've talked about it. How are you? Thirdly, what are you doing to care for one another that shows you're a follower of Jesus? And I would add, and are concerned about the spiritual well-being of your brothers and sisters. What are you doing? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the church. God, we're grateful to have a building and an auditorium and all that stuff to meet in. And we're grateful that we have a time set apart each week to meet together. But God, help us never to forget we are the church, not this place, not this hour.
God, help us to make a commitment to be connected to each other. God, help us to realize we desperately need one another. That's how you made us to be. Help us to be committed, Father, to serving one another. Not because we have a program that needs tending, but because we are serving each other, doing for one another. And help us to be committed, Father, to caring, especially for the spiritual well-being of each member of this local body that we call heritage. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.